I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. This is Collateral Cinema. What makes you think you can bullshit your way into my head? Like every other pencil in piece of shit. Welcome to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast, so whatever you have, marijuana-related, smoke it if you got it. Hello, Robert. How are you doing? I'm fine. Just glad to be back here. Oh, man, it's always good to be back here. We only have a few more episodes left in the season. Season one of Collateral Cinema Movie Podcast. It's It's been interesting so far, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it has. Oh, man, we've already tackled some really interesting movies, and this one is no exception. This is David Lynch's 1977 masterpiece of a debut eraser head this is another movie that i just showed robert literally like a week ago like first time he's ever seen it robert you've seen it like a few times since then. i watched it twice you watched it twice i mean what was going through your mind when you initially experienced this because that's what this movie is this movie is totally an experience yeah like something out of the 50s twilight saga or something the, the Outer Limits, you know, that oh, 1950s definitely. era. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely kind of uh, evocative of that uh, era. That's something that David Lynch really, really likes, and it's a motif in a lot of his movies. He really evo- likes to evoke the uh, like the mid to late 50s and early 60s yeah. uh, era of uh, pop culture. You know, I mean, he even uh, sports to this day like a pompadour pretty much. I mean, I, I always thought that he kind of looked like a uh, smaller, slightly older Anthony Bourdain. May he rest in peace, mm. honestly. Like, I can see Anthony Bourdain kind of having that same, you know, aura to him, just related to food. I mm. mean, once, once again, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Very unfortunate. But David Lynch, this was the beginning of his career, his directorial debut. He was a uh, fellow at uh, AFI, the American Film Institute, apparently. That's where he was originally uh, going to school, the film school, and he managed to get a hold of the stables that they had there and set, pretty much set up his own little... Uh, his own studio. His own little movie studio. Yeah. yeah, he had like a camera room, a mic room, an editing room and everything. He had uh, like a room to go and eat and lounge in. Like, it's amazing. I mean, they had staging areas. I mean, yeah, it's really, really crazy uh, how they managed to pull this all together, you know, even... Though it wasn't a really huge budget. I mean, it was yeah. just a grant from the AFI that made this movie. They weren't expecting it to be anything at no. the time, right? 
no, no, th- this is another one of those movies that they didn't know who the fuck was going to actually watch it, mm. you know? Yeah. And, I mean, it did kind of find its... Uh, it found its audience eventually. Like, it released as kind of a midnight movie. Like, even in its original debut, it was debuted at midnight. And that's kind of where it gained its notoriety, along with movies, you know, kind of like Pink Flamingos or Night of the Living Dead or... Movies of that caliber, you know, I mean, I think it was shown in drive throughs every now and again, Yeah, which is like, oh man, this is, this must've been crazy in a drive through. Oh my God. I mean, much less like an art house or a grind house cinema. I I wouldn't think that this would be shown in a grind house. I've never heard of it before. You showed it to me. No, no, no. This, this would have to be straight art house like all the way. I mean, compared to Audition, the first movie that we did, this is probably even more art house than that one. I mean, you weren't present for that episode. No, it wasn't. But, I mean, what do you think of the overall mind-screwiness of this uh, movie? Like, what do you think of just the... the uh, it's almost a page out of Alfred Hitchcock. Al- Alfred Hitchcock? Almost. Like it's, it's almost like Alfred Hitchcock gone wrong. In a way, like that, that's kind of at least at least where this movie was concerned, you know, later on, in, later on in his movies. I mean, there was kind of that influence a little bit. I mean, he did do a lot of movies about old Hollywood and everything like Mulholland Drive is really, really uh, like it's focused around that. I mean, that's an actual drive up in the hills and in, uh, in Hollywood. And also, to a degree, Lost Highway had that a little bit. I believe that the main character was like a videographer or a filmmaker of some kind. I mean, and Lost Highway, that's a very infamous movie. It's very, very... Oh, man, it's hard to describe, really. I mean, we're, unless we actually do an episode on it, like, seriously. I would have to watch it. I've never seen it either. Oh, man, you got to see it, dude. I mean, when we do it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is David Lynch all David the way. Lynch. Yeah. But, I mean, David Lynch, he's done really fucked up mind-screwy films like this, and he's done a couple of more straightforward films. He uh, he did a uh, film called Blue Velvet, which was starring Isabella Rossellini and uh, Dennis Hopper. Like, I mean, that that still had elements of, like, the, some of the symbolism and some of his motifs, but it wasn't nearly as out there as Eraserhead is Dennis Hopper is a great actor oh he's great and he's fantastic in that movie he's frightening he's quite possibly one of the scariest goddamn things you'll ever see like honestly I mean he pretty much just plays a straight psychopath really yeah he made his start in the 50s too <laughs> yeah and, and he and his character is definitely evocative of that as well I mean there's definitely a lot of that cool 50s uh, pastiche to the to that movie like even from the very first frame and, and that's kind of evident in uh, in Eraserhead a little bit. I mean, it's just more kind of a perversion of that uh, that whole uh, era, kind of. I mean, wouldn't you say? I mean, don't don't you think that this is, feels more like a '50s movie than a '70s movie? Yeah, like all the way, all the way, 1950s. Yeah, I mean, just especially in the cinematography and everything. Like, even though this is like way better than a lot, even some of the best cinematography out of the '50s, I think. In the 50s. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of Hitchcock's films were kind of, they were kind of up there at that time. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you kind of get the sense that this movie was kind of pre-60s almost. Like, and not, not, not so much like in the way it was directed or produced, but just in the aura that it gives. Like I said, it's, it's a perversion of that particular era. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah. 
I'm thinking, you know, who did a lot of that stuff at that time? It was Vincent Price. Yeah, definitely. Know, like, Last Man on Earth, or it's another zombie film we have to get into later on. <laughs> Last Man on Earth, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely down to do Vincent Price movies. I mean, I, I am certainly a fan of his. I mean, I've seen quite a f- bit of his movies. Brilliant. Fly. Show. But, I mean, David Lynch, he also directed a movie with Nicolas Cage. It was called Wild at Heart. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was a mo- interesting movie. I haven't really seen it yet, but I would like to check it out. And David Lynch, he also took over for Alexander Jodorowsky on the Dune movie. That is much uh, lauded. It's quite legendary, that production. The Dune movie. I mean, Jodorowsky, he wanted to make like this nine or ten hour epic film. It's like, that. it's pretty much the only way at the time they could have encapsulated that story. You know, because, I mean, it was originally a piece of literature. And a video game. And a video game, yeah, yeah of course. I remember that game. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like a goddamn spice. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, his his uh, take on the film was kind of interesting. It wasn't nearly as mind-screwy, but it built a kind of a very organic looking type of sci-fi world like we were in his head the whole time or something no it was it didn't even go that far it was like, like uh, i mean with with dune it didn't even go that far with it 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 was just to m- more adhered to the actual uh to the story of dune but also added kind of a messiah story kind yeah. of in there a little bit and let's see what other movie did he do yeah, the Elephant Man. Oh, that was that was a movie that he did with Anthony Hopkins. It was, and that that was based on the uh, true story of uh, of the Elephant Man. He was a circus actor, circus act performer, the Elephant Man. Yeah, and he he became uh, quite uh, quite notorious in his own right. It was like they call it elephantitis, right? Something yeah, some, like something to that degree. He had some elephantitis and some type of uh, bone disease as well. Yeah, but David Lynch made a pretty dreamy take on th- that story. I, I think the, the dude's name was Joseph Merrill, I think. That was his name, right? Joseph Merrill? I'm not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, they, they made a movie. He made a movie about that, and that's uh, got some kind of mind-screwy elements to it. But it's that's another movie that, that he made that's a little more straightforward, you know, because it's meant to tell tell a more straightforward tale kind of that's more true to the history behind it mm-hmm. you know but of course we we can't talk about david lynch without bringing up twin peaks that that was his nice little contribution to television in the 90s and made its own little memes you know like for instance you know that's a damn good cherry pie or something to that degree some damn fine coffee or something like that <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I haven't really even seen the whole series. Me neither. You know, I've seen bits and pieces of it. And, I mean, there was a reboot recently that I think it was on Showtime yeah. where he he went even wilder with the concepts. I mean, just just imagine, you know, pretty much a lot of the mind screwiness behind Eraserhead, like just brought into a full-on color 90s TV show. <laughs> Full color and everything. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and he even had uh, some of the actors from Eraserhead. It had Jack Nance, and it had uh, the girl that played the lady in The Radiator. I mean, that... That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. Got it's, a lot of history together. 
it's it's a series that I really, really want to get into. And when we do, we'll probably just go ahead and do a Collateral Cinema episode because there's also a movie tied to that, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, that was released on Criterion recently. And that's a kind of a continuation of the original series. We'll be supposed to answer some of the questions that the that viewers had from the... Because this, uh, this was the... Uh, it was canceled like around season two, like after season two. Mm-hmm. That's when they canceled it. And they just they just released season three like not even a year ago, Netflix, I think. Netflix so, picked it up. Yeah, yeah. Netflix has it. They have the whole series. I mean, if you try to find it on DVD, it's like about 100 bucks, man. Jesus, like, that's a lot. Oh. And then that's if you find it with uh, the whole series, like a lot of the uh, supplementals, and it comes with Firewalk with me, the movie. You know, because it kind of has to in order to continue that. But, I mean, yeah, that's David Lynch's overall work so far. I mean, he also had some short films from back in the day when he was an AFI fellow that some of them are on the uh, Eraserhead DVD. Like, there, there's this one that's called Amputee where it's literally just a video of some uh, woman who has a stump and is just making like weird noises or something and it's just got a lot of noise around it and then the nurse comes in and dresses her amputated wound and then that's it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's that kind of craziness, <laughs> man. He also has one called Alphabet, which I'm not going to get into. It's just really weird. It's just very, very, very weird. Head, it's deliberately a very monochrome black and white type of cinematography. It's very stark. I mean, it's it's almost like it, it was filmed at nighttime, which gives it its own little aura as well with the black and white cin- cinematography. And it gives it this, this really dreamlike feel, right? Yes, it does. I mean, it always constantly feels like there's no actual reality there. Like, what do you think? Yeah, everything you just said. <laughs> what, 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 what can you add to it, Robert? Um, damn. I don't know. I don't know if we were in his head the whole time or if he's, like, conflicted with the idea of, like, having a son, you know? I don't know if like, we were actually in his head, more or less. I mean, we'll get we'll get into that here in a little bit. We, we're going to get into some of the theories behind this movie. But as far as the cinematography, it's always... It evokes a world that is just incredibly bleak. There's doesn't existentially speaking, there doesn't seem to be much going on for anybody there. Yeah. Like I mean, they're just kind of just like that planet that's shown uh, that's superimposed in Harry's head. It's like they're just kind of floating along, literally. And I, that, that's what I kind of think that planet is meant to represent. Once again, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But 
cinematography wise, I mean, especially on the Criterion DVD, I mean, it's just really clear and beautiful. I mean, they, they, they showed some of the original film stock and yeah, it was kind of grainy, which I kind of wish I wish we could watch the film like that. It would probably give it an interesting feel, right? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, kind of like uh, watching uh, something like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street on VHS. It, the original it, copy, no remaster, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it just has a different feel to it, you know? Yeah, but, I want my old VHS player back there. But on, on the Criterion release, I mean, it is crystal clear, even on the standard definition DVD. I mean, you can see every little shadow. I mean, you can see every contour of everybody's face. I mean, you know, faces and heads, that's a prominent thing in this movie. And just the shots of those are just incredible. Just really, really incredible. Like, especially that iconic close-up of uh, Jack Nance as Henry, like with all the eraser head shavings around him. Uh And he's just... All the dust floating around. And he's just freaked out. Like, what is he trying to do? Erase the idea of the reality or him having a son? I don't know. Something to that degree. Yeah, Yeah, but, I mean, it what also helps uh, to give that crazy bleak atmosphere is that set design as well, which was done by David Lynch himself. Himself. Yeah, he did all of the set design pretty much. That's a man. And like when you think about it, it's like like for instance that stage that that the lady on the radiator dances on. I mean, that took a little while to design and build. Mm. I mean, it, it kind of kind of makes you uh, really understand why this took five years to make kind of like especially for just a bunch of film students but i mean just the way that those are staged and shot i mean it's masterful it's like i mean where did this guy come from (laughs) where did where did these people come from jesus i mean david lynch he just seems like he was just shot into our orbit just out of nowhere i mean i I don't even know if he was actually born and raised anywhere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he, he just he just kind of always was, and he appeared, and he managed to find a awesome uh, director of photography. Do you recall his name? I do not. He switched two of them. That's all. I he switched. Yeah, there yeah. there were two of them uh, that were involved in this movie. In the five six year period. Right? And really, I mean, it's seamless. You don't really see the difference. I mean, to tell the truth, it almost it almost seems like it's one person that the. Did the photography on all of this? It doesn't even seem like it took six years. It like, doesn't. It doesn't look like this should have taken that long. They had to keep his hair. Yeah, hey, they had like, to keep Jack Nance's hair like that for five, six years. Oh, that must have been that must have been so annoying after a while because we we saw on the one of the documentaries that you know that just was unheard of back in the day. That was before like punk and all of that shit. Yeah. You know, so like like punk would come maybe a year or two later. You know, and then it wouldn't seem so out there. But, you know, yeah, just having that hair standing up on end like that. I mean, it's it's an iconic look. It really is. And when and when, when he is uh, shot, whenever he's on camera, I mean, the photography involving Henry, I mean, it always just really makes that outline even more more congruous, like you know? The intro when he's walking through the tunnel, the opening right there. Yeah, just that, that, fir- yeah. that first moment where he's just looking behind him yeah. after the sequence with the man on the planet and everything, and it's just shot in a way that there's just no life anywhere where he goes. He, even even the people that he interacts with, I mean, there's just no life to them. There's no life to him either. The, the girls are... Heard this before, but 
14 years ago, I had an operation on my arm here. Doctors said I wouldn't be able to use it. Well, what the hell do they know, I said. And I rubbed it for a half hour every day. And then I got so I, I could move it a little. And then and I, and I got so I could turn a faucet. And, and pretty soon I had my arm back again. Now I can't feel a damn thing in it. All numb. I, I'm, I'm afraid to cut it, you know? Mary usually does the carving, but maybe tonight you'll do it, Henry. All right with you? Of course. I'd be happy to. Do I just, uh, just cut them up like regular chickens? Sure, just cut them up like regular chickens. Set design is kind of a character in its own right. Yes, it is. Right. It's almost something out of Beetlejuice. Tim yeah, Burton. I mean, seriously, yeah. I mean, these are some very classic backgrounds here, you know? Like, there's just, there's always close shots of uh, of just, like, dirt or fluids or, you know, rocky, craggy terrain yeah. and everything. And, and then there's just shots like uh, that first shot in the... Uh, where Henry's in the elevator, where he goes through the lobby, where it just stalls for a little bit, and mm-hmm. he's he's just waiting there, and you and then you're just waiting. There's like, is something gonna happen here? Is there something crazy? And then the door just closes. You know, just the, the way that that was shot. Oh my god, man! And just the set design in that uh, in that lobby. I mean, he ended up using the uh, floor panel, the, that floor pattern again in Twin Peaks. Like he, he readily admits that. I mean, and it kind of makes you wonder if there is that little, if there is a little connection between the two. But that said, I mean, I haven't really seen Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, we got to do like we we got to do an episode on it, you know. But I mean, Robert, how would you have shot this film? Hmm. I like as as a aspiring filmmaker yourself. I mean, would you have done anything different here? And with the technology we got now, but yeah, yeah, what they had to work with, they were just, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. It was a budget, right? And they all had to pitch in for the film alone. Yeah, ev- eventually yeah. they had to pitch into the movie. Yeah, mm. eventually. Um, no, that's exactly perfect. 
<laughs> yeah, old, I mean, they, old industrial looking, just you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the tracking and panning shots are just. I would have never thought something like that. Really. Oh man, like 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 in the stage when you first see the lady in the radiator, it just those doors open and the camera goes into that first yeah. light. And it just goes around the rim of the stage, and each light comes on, and then you see the the lady's uh, legs. And then the way that it just pans out, it's like, wow, how did they do that on that budget? That that looked like a crane shot. That's amazing. Like, I understand how they got the tracking shots and everything, but that right there was just mind-blowing to me. And I, I think I remember seeing one of the uh, documentaries that that stage area that was built out in like the courtyard in the stables that they were living at. That they made yeah. their studios. He had his bedroom, the lobby, and the lady in the yeah radiator. Yeah, that that shit. They straight up built that outside. That is so cool. Huh. I would. I don't know what the hell was David Lynch thinking when he did that. I, I know, man. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, there, there's so many little flourishes in the set design. Every time you look at it, like in Henry's bedroom alone, like for instance, you have the the brick wall outside that window. I mean, which in many ways kind of says it all. It's like that's why I don't. That's like urban living to me. I don't know if I can do it, man. Jesus Christ, <laughs> urban Harlem. living, Harlem. <laughs> oh dear Lord, I can only imagine, man. And of course, there's the, there's that one plant that's right next to his bed. It's pretty much literally just a pile of dirt with a dirt. goddamn that leafless tree sticking out. sticking out. And and that and of course that uh, that uh, picture of a of an atomic bomb going off. He's like, what do you think was the deal with that? Was that was that kind of a, maybe a symbol of uh, what was about to happen to his life? Maybe was that. Probably about to lose his sanity and explode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was that a was that a sexual thing? Like, yeah, like a I, don't know, I mean, that 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 was very interesting to me. Like, and, and the way if you look at his bed, like his blanket has holes in it and everything. Like you can see the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then there's that dresser, which he goes to quite a bit in the in the film. You know, it's like. You you look inside that dresser. He has he randomly has like a pot full of water in there. Like he has a bunch of weird little trinkets in there. It's it's like uh, that's the weirdest drunk drawer, uh, junk drawer I've ever seen. Like his ever. character is really weird. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. awkwardly. <laughs>
Now, the sound design itself, that also really drives this movie in so many ways. I mean, it's, the, the first thing you notice is droning. Droning, droning, droning. Constantly droning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's and kind of meant to evoke kind of like a uh, groggy kind of liquid in your ears rushing sound kind of. That's what it was. It was kind of like... To kind of to make it sound like things were kind of coming to a head in many scenes. Like especially, spoiler alert, in that ending scene when he's uh, hugging the lady in the radiator. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like, I mean, that light, that uh, sound, it becomes just evocative of that light, you know? It's just enveloping. And then it just stops. You know, it just stops. That's that's fucking beautiful to me, man. But yeah, there's not so much a music score here, you know. There's not. I mean, there's. It's mo- mostly just kind of droning noise. It's kind of. I mean, there is actually an uh, a genre of music called uh, noise drone uh, music. It's like noise music. Started hurting my ears. Yeah. And it kind of, and a lot of it kind of sounds like this, just a lot more abrasive. It's like this, but this sounds more organic. You know, it sounds like I said, like liquid rushing in your ears. You know, and once again, that kind of goes back to that head motif. You know, like even the sound makes it sound like you have just a bunch of shit just kind of building up in your head and it's just rushing and it's just... That's where the atomic bomb comes yeah. into play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, of course, near the end of the movie, his uh, his planet ruptures, you know? I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, it literally comes to a head pretty much. In many, in many, many ways, it literally comes to a head. <laughs> but I mean, like, I what I would like to know... Is, um, there's a lot of things I like to know about this. Is how do they do the sound design on the uh, little puppet baby? Yeah, I want to know how they did the special effects. Oh, that's like yeah. yeah, I mean, th- that was it. Almost sounded like a little lamb, just kind of processed a little differently. Look like real flesh, right? It was all wet. Like, oh yeah, that's just the look of the goddamn thing. Like, damn, dude, this looks and, real. And once again, the cinematography just oh, special effects makes it look crazy. Makes it look crazy, yeah. But, I mean, as far as the sound design is concerned, I mean, there's always a very industrial feel to it. You know, like, there there always seems to be kind of clanging in the background at many times, you know? So, he's on vacation, right? Right. And he has no idea what to do? No, he has no idea. He pretty much has no idea what to do, so he ends up having a baby. (laughs) Allegedly a baby. (laughs) And, I mean, there is... There isn't a whole lot of dialogue in this movie, but the dialogue that is there, it sounds like it's mixed rather well. I mean, I, I saw that they had like EVRE20 microphones that they were using, which, are, I mean, that's got a good little range and pickup to it, wow. you know? So for, for onset sound, it's like that's actually real primo. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's that picture of the uh, of the sound engineer. I forget, once again, I forget his name. Uh, yeah. I mean, he has an RE20 right above Jack Nance's head, and uh, they have the audio blanket next to it, like the uh, the acoustic blanket oh, next wow. to them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they, they straight up made an acoustic blanket. I think it was like uh, it was like rubber or something, like with fiberglass in between them, and they kind of glued it a couple of tarps together or something like that. Wow. 
I mean, yeah, that, that provided enough isolation that uh, they can kind of... And also, you know, working at night, you know, they didn't have a bunch of people roaming around, a bunch of work being done or whatever. Walking so back and forth constantly. So it was pretty quiet. Not that it matters in this film. I mean, there's constantly noise, which I think is kind of a motif in itself. Is Kind of the point is, is that no matter what, no matter where Henry goes... You know, that noise is always invasive. It's always... In his head. It's always around him. It's, it's almost kind of like tinnitus in some ways. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. kind of an interesting point, really. You know? Because, I mean, when you experience tinnitus, I mean, you hear constant ringing. ringing in and your ear. Yeah. So, sometimes you, you even get that rushing ear feeling sound. Do you so have that? I get that sometimes. I, I do have tinnitus, actually. Jesus Christ. Yeah, many, many, many years of... Uh, Going to uh, concerts, yeah, pretty much took care of that. Yeah, like 80s Metallica <laughs> messed up my ears. Oh, yeah, 80s Metallica. Pantera. Some Slayer, there some Slipknot. Go. Oh, yeah, that, that'll usually do the trick, kids. Protect, protect your hearing, kids. It's important, especially if you want to go into any type of sound or music. Th- thankfully, my tinnitus is not so bad that I, that I can't hear certain overtones and everything. You know, it's actually nice. controllable, but yeah, I try to protect my hearing nowadays. <laughs> I know, freaking Sarah like screaming in my ear. Jesus, oh, Jesus Christ, girl! <laughs> but I mean, all that sound design comes together to create a really foreboding kind of existential dread throughout the movie. Like it really contributes to that feeling. You know, like there's just nothing but despair in front of you. And, and I think that's really the point w- with the sound as far as uh, Henry is concerned. You know, like I said, it's always in his uh, personal space. There's always noise. There's always sound. It, it just means that he can never truly escape the machinations of what's coming for him. You know, which I'd is go crazy. Which is like fate, you know? And yeah, that does happen to a lot of people who have tinnitus. It can lead to like depression and other mental health issues if it gets severe enough. Mm-hmm. You know? So I mean that that is kind of an interesting angle to it and it's kind of interesting how the sound design plays into that. But I mean and yeah, the sound effects themselves, I mean there's lots of interesting foley in this movie. Like I said, a lot of the more industrial noises, the clanging, the, and it's kind of mixed into the background so that it's like not so pronounced. It's just kind of always there in many ways. And, and also sometimes you hear like uh, insects, yeah. like the sound of like cicadas Cricket, or cicadas, crickets, crickets, like a, like maybe a mix of the two kind of a little bit here and there. Like especially when you're in Henry's, uh, when you're actually in Henry's apartment, you hear that a lot. At certain points. Jesus Christ. Pest control. <laughs> I mean, well, well, once again, he can't escape whatever is coming for him. And that noise is part of it. And you can tell that he's constantly kind of hearing it. You know, I mean, you can tell he's reacting to it. More or paranoid. Less. Jeez. Yeah. But as far as there's music in this, uh, in this movie, as far as you can call it music... I mean, I think there's some piano tracks that are played, but they're kind of mixed into the background to kind of give it this very old, dilapidated feel. Almost, once again, almost like it's numb, like it's kind of numb and deaf. You know, like it's kind of a, kind of a dull sound to it, more or less. Well, once again, once again, that kind of plays into the possibility that some type of hearing 
loss or something like that could be playing into the Henry psychosis. I mean, that's actually an interesting angle to it, if you think about yeah, it. I did not think about that. Yeah, I mean, I've never put that much thought to it either, you know? I mean, but I wouldn't put it past David Lynch to use sound like that, even all the way back on his first movie. But, I mean, th- there's also that one scare chord, you know, whenever uh, Henry checks his uh, child, he's like, oh, you are sick. You are sick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and the baby has all these nasty little sores on it. Yeah, it looks so real, too. <laughs> it almost looks syphilitic, kind of, right? He's got maggots in his, maggots in his mouth. Yeah. Oh, uh, gross. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, we do have Eraserhead playing in the background right now, and we are at that scene right now and oh my goodness that puppet baby puppet baby <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing you could call him is just puppet baby it's not it's only it's, it's only a slightly better than puppet baby from uh combat shock that trauma film but <laughs> this, this one is a lot gushier a lot fleshier damn that hair <laughs> yeah and once again you know that just that cry that it has and eventually it cackles at at the henry after a while when it actually fucks him over with the, the lady across the hall yeah like yeah that little shit straight up laughing at him like yeah dude like, like cackling at him because some drunk took his girl or something it's like you little shit yeah that j- j- just that sound is alone it's pretty crazy Jack Nance, may he rest in peace, as Henry, man, he drives so much of this film. So, so much of it. Just just in his facial expressions, right? Absolutely. I mean, he has these very sincere-looking eyes, and he's just always so confused about what's going on around him, and even bemused a little bit. He's just, oh, that pocket protector. <laughs> Like a guy who goes out each day and like wonders what's gonna happen next. I guess right. What, what is his job again? What does he do? <laughs> uh, he says that he's in involved in some sort of printing service. Yeah. He's a printer of some type, which would make sense with the pocket protector and everything, you know. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think that he pretty much is kind of a pencil pusher in many ways. Yeah. You know. But he's on vacation, remember? On vacation. <laughs> on vacation. And what a vacation it is. So he decides to walk around. <laughs> he decides to walk around uh, giant mounds of dirt. and Steps into a puddle. Steps into a puddle, which might be a metaphor for how shitty his life is about to become. <laughs> My whole sock is full of water right there. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Henry is meant to be very much an everyman in many ways. I mean, his job is very banal. I mean, he doesn't really, other than his hair, I mean, at least in the world that he inhabits, he's not really, uh, you know, he's not really... Uh, Basically, your everyday working that man. That incongruous. Yeah, he's just your everyday working man. Yeah. Al Bundy. <laughs> oh, he hated his life. <laughs> oh, he seriously hated his life. Like, definitely. Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> But as long as he got to come home and stick his hand in his pocket. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you got yeah, you got to stick your hand in the pocket, right? Good old Al Bundy, Jesus Christ. But I mean, because he's that every man. I mean, he's very much kind of caught up in the hands of fate in many ways. Like that's that's kind of what the common take on the man of the planet is: is that he's very much the hands of fate, pulling much. the levers of Pull, his pulling destiny. the levers of his destiny. Yeah. You know, and I mean, he doesn't seem to be a really bad person honestly like i mean he's just caught up in a situation that he just doesn't know what to do about honestly like especially when it comes to having a child and being a parent which many people kind of say might be kind of autobiographical as far as david lynch is concerned yeah the thought of that just the idea of this really scares the hell out of me yeah. yeah i mean i i don't have children either i mean i wouldn't mind having children but Right now, it's like, yeah, I mean, that that notion, it doesn't scare me. I just know well enough about myself that maybe I shouldn't have children right now. <laughs> That's kind of what I, what I, how I see it, you know. And in many ways, maybe Henry shouldn't have had children or marry X. Like, these are not people that need to be raising children in any way. No. I mean, just the way that Mary treats... Uh, treats the puppet baby <laughs> like in that first night she's just like straight up screaming at it like shut up shut up I'm going oh, out. it's like I'm going back to my parents home I just need a decent night's sleep rah, rah, rah. Jesus I mean I don't blame her really that's why parents shake their baby huh? oh man it's like I would I could only imagine dude like I mean she doesn't do that here she does the right thing and just walks away Walks out. More wrong Walk out. thing. I, I don't know exactly. Walk out on me. I don't know exactly how you can really take the morality of what Mary does, but in many ways, I mean, her character is just kind of ancillary to uh, to Henry, you know. She's just the girl he ends up with, his, his baby mama. You know, that's a very, very common thing that happens in life, you know, and the lady in the radiator, it, like, that's very much a, uh, his, uh, his desired female. That's that's his dream girl, pretty and much. She's stepping on, like the little things of fetus. Or yeah, or yeah. Something. I mean, she's desirable because she is unable to really have children. You know, that's kind of what makes her desirable to him. Like, especially after dealing with whatever that thing is on his is. table, mm. it's like I don't, I don't know. That that would turn me off to having children as well, man. I mean, like straight up. <laughs> but I mean, the sad thing is, is that you know there are children that are born 
with, like, deformities. with those type of deformities. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess you can kind of take this as a movie about basically a parent dealing with that and not dealing with it well at all. Because, I mean, th- this baby doesn't look human in any way. And my my parents went through stuff like that. My, <laughs> yeah. my, older, my older brother. Hugs, so oh, really? Oh, man. Handful. That's, handful. <laughs> that's, that sucks, man. So I can kind of relate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. yeah, it's, it's an interesting take on the whole thing with the puppet baby, you know. And your kids coming out healthy like yeah. they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's definitely an adult fear. And in, and in many ways, this whole movie is just adult fear is the movie, you know, in many ways. But, I mean, Henry, in many ways, the best thing he can do is nothing at all. In many ways, is I mean, in many ways, he's not doing anything at all. I mean, he's just pretty much experiencing what's happening much like the viewer is take one day at a time i guess yeah which is another uh, thing with david lynch is like he likes to really kind of bring the viewer into the actual character the main character of the film and kind of show him that perspective and that, that's what we see with the racer head it's like this is pretty much henry's perspective all the way through and through right yes sir <laughs> Yeah, we're 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 at the scene where he starts pulling uh, those uh, s- sperm things out of uh, the bed with the, I guess that's Mary X. Like, oh god, yeah. I don't know. She's kind of meant to look like a completely different woman, kind of. With the holes in his blanket. Yeah. Oh yeah, those holes in his blanket once Was again for insulation or something. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it's, it's a nice little once again nice little touch by David Lynch set design like we talked about earlier. They said these are real umbilical cords that yeah. he's pulling out, right? Yeah, the, the, these were actual umbilical cords that he uh, that he fashioned into these things, and it, and it makes you and it makes you wonder. Like he, he was telling a story, like how him and uh, him and one of the other uh, producers or whatever, one of his other uh, film crew, yeah. they would they'd be going over to the hospital, just basically walking out with umbilical cords. They would just right? give them to him. It's like Jesus Christ, how easy was it to get that shit back? Jesus Christ! <laughs> just just go to the to the maternity ward and just be like, "Hey, I need umbilical cords." Just throw them in the trash anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they they literally pretty much do. I mean, medical waste, of course. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he Henry uh, he finds all these little sperm things in his bed with his wife. What I'm not sure about is whether that's supposed to symbolize like his wife cheating on him with other men or his or if that's his semen and he's just rejecting the even the notion of having another child oh yeah that's perfect because <laughs> there, there's some speculation that that little worm thing that he pulls out of that little box that's another potential child yeah. right there that's supposed to symbolize his uh his potential fertility because it kind of and, and the possibility that he'll have another deformed uh, baby as well you know basically that he's just producing these like monsters essentially devil spawns <laughs> and that's pretty much going to be his life from then on and that's kind of what leads to his breakdown initially and what a breakdown it is man that was cool was it his baby's head comes popping out of his body <laughs> yeah that Jeez. shit is crazy that special effects <laughs> right there was cool as hell. it's like that was awesome as fuck you know that was really 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 awesome
I mean, his his interactions with most of the other characters are what really, really drives his character in many ways. I mean, especially with Mary X, his erstwhile baby mama slash wife. I mean, pretty much the, the moment that you meet her, she is just morose. Like, they, like there's just no life to her or her family. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like her dad has a little life to him, but that's that's because he's insane. <laughs> he's a plumber, right? <laughs> he, he's a plumber, and he's insane. Can't stop smiling. Yeah, that that slasher grin that he has. He's like, he. <laughs> it's like, oh, he he he's gone. He 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 uh he checked out a long time ago. Holy crap. Which who knows? Maybe he checked out because he underwent the same type of visions that Henry did. Like okay. what if what if that's like a thing that happens to men on the planet that they're on? Jeez. They just eventually just have a mental breakdown. They're just destined for it. Interesting point, folks. It's almost like a, you know, like again, a Twilight Zone episode from the fifties. I think it goes a little further than the Twilight Zone. Man, Twilight Zone was pretty straightforward from time to time. It was crazy too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Mary X is in the and also uh, Mother X, like her mother, like she she's like straight up just lays into Henry, like straight up. Oh yeah. I mean, she's just like, do you have sexual intercourse with my daughter? And he, he doesn't know what to do there. Yeah. Like, he, he is just like, what? Like, he's too he's too insular to answer shit like that, you know? I mean, he, he's just he's just too It's kind of a personal, personal question, too. Yeah. It is a personal question, yeah. but then again, if there's a child involved, then, yeah, that becomes some pertinent information. But... But then there's the whole thing that, you know, Mary says, like, we're not even sure that it is a baby. So it's like, <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, and, and from that point on, Mary X becomes incredibly weepy. After all, she's very sickly, kind of. Like, she's she seems to be in very ill health and with a very ill disposition. Let's just point out. I mean, I really don't know why Hittery would want... Her, but they're perfect together, aren't they? <laughs> Two balls of sunshine. Jeez. Everybody got problems, right? Everybody's got problems. No, Jeez. there there is no happiness anywhere to be found in this movie. Like even the lady across the hall, who seems to be living something of a fulfilling life that she wants to live, it's like she's kind of morose in her own right. Well, I mean, she's kind of presented as a little sinister, kind of. But, I mean, it's not, not meant sinister in a way that she's female. sinister in a way that, you know, Henry's about to just make a bad choice. Another bad choice there. That's what she symbolizes. It's just another bad choice for Henry. She definitely comes close to uh, who, what he sees as a dream girl. But even then, he still sees the lady in the radiator all the time. I mean, he basically has standards that even the lady across the hall is not going to live up to. Yeah. You know? But of course, you know, I mean, it later shows that, you know, the lady across the hall, she brings another uh, man home. So it's not, not like that matters much. I mean, it, it was kind of just a little false construct, more or less. You know, the whole relationship between them, quote unquote. Don't even say anything, like two words to each other. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, like she comes over and she's just like, where's your wife? Where's your wife? It's well, like, damn, is that, a, it's like, damn, Henry, is that all it took to sleep with her? Jesus. If you want to call what he does sleeping with her. 
was a shower in the jacuzzi. And yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's an interesting way to kind of uh, symbolize sexual intercourse without showing sexual intercourse, honestly. I mean, it's pretty much like just this mound of dirt and this puddle of milk-like fluid, and they're naked in there, they're embracing and kissing each other, and she takes one look at that baby, and she's just like, what God. the fuck? Yeah. What am I doing? What do I do? <laughs> she's like, what the hell am I doing here? Why was this a good idea? It's not. No. And then, they, yeah, there's that uh, moment where there's that moment where uh, she's uh, coming back with that other dude and she sees Henry, but with uh, the baby's head. Mm-hmm. It's like that's pretty much all she can see at that point. That's all she sees. That's all she sees. She just sees that baby. Jesus. Like that baby's pretty much by that point an albatross on uh, Henry's around Henry's neck. It's like the idea of sex is like completely turned off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's nothing sexy in this film at all. Yeah. Nothing sexy or erotic. Like even the uh, lady across the hall, she's uh, presented as kind of a seductive femme fatale, but even she kind of comes off as a little off-putting in many ways. Like yeah, we're 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 watching her right now. She's like, I can't believe this. What the fuck am I doing? (laughs) You know, what's funny is it's his day off, and then he gets surprised with a baby that Uh he has no idea existed. Yeah, he's he's saddled with a baby out of nowhere. So technically, he'd never had a day off. And so you see the picture of the atomic bomb. It'd be like your your sanity exploding at any minute. It reminds me of my father. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's crazy, man. Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> and eventually he ends up hugging the lady in the radiator which is supposed to be his dream woman I mean that last ending I mean does that mean that he finally achieves that or is he just kind of a, is that just a dying dream where he's kind of escaping into his archetypal dream woman like, what, what do you think that is pretty cool yeah I guess like a way for him to escape and get, get into I think he goes into his head like half the time you know oh, most of the time really and yeah, like like, said, like like I said, this is a movie that's very much fueled by perspective, namely Henry's perspective. So he's thinking about his perfect ideal woman. And yeah, and he's also kind of considering the life he has anyway. I would lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, that life that's very much uh, symbolized by that uh, planet or asteroid, as it were, which I think is meant to symbolize what's going on in his head in many ways, or his life, or whatever. You know, I think so, at least. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's no right or wrong answer, really. <laughs> uh, well, it, that's the thing, you know. I mean, David Lynch has said that, you know, he's heard all kinds of theories about this movie, but he's never heard one that's actually his interpretation of the movie. Yeah. Like, not once. Nobody's even come close. And some of the uh, more accepted theories are, you know, they're kind of seen as pretty on the nose, but they're still not uh, accepted by David Lynch. But this is a movie that's kind of considered extremely disturbing in many ways. Did you find it disturbing in that way? I did. I showed it to my brother, and he's wondering the same thing. What the hell just happened? Yeah. Well, how do you think it's disturbing? Like, in what way? Like, compared to something like, I don't know, I spit on your grave or something around that fact. What, what, what do you think it's, how do you think it's disturbing? Actually, the way... 
the chick almost looks like, or the lady in the radiator almost looks like the elephant man or something. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. The whole, uh, her cheekbones, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a body horror thing. That is crazy. Or the way that the man in the planet looks. He's kind of... Man in the planet. The umbilical cords coming out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, umbilical cords coming out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of fleshy body horror motifs in this movie. A little bit disturbing. Yeah. Like, it was even on set pretty disturbing, apparently. Like, there, there was a production assistant that straight up quit because she accidentally stepped on one of the umbilical cords. Like, and it squirked her out so much, like, she was just like, ugh, no, I'm, d- I'm done. I'm gone. Like, I'm God done. Damn. I'm done. I'm not walking here. <laughs> Never work in this town again. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you you find this film on uh, on uh, YouTube and uh, on blogs all the time on lists for, like, the most disturbing movies ever made, and... I only think it's disturbing in a superficial sense, you know, like, like, like the first disturbing movie we did on this podcast was the pilot episode audition. And that to me, like, if you go back and listen to that, I say that I don't think that that's particularly that disturbing. I, I, that's another movie that I've seen a bunch of times mm-hmm. before. This is a movie I've seen many times before. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that it's really that gross or that fucked up or anything. I mean, there, there's worse that I've seen. I think, oh, yeah, certainly. I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. It, it, it's a masterpiece of just dark, disturbing psychological horror, you know? It's all facial expression acting. I mean, but, I mean, yeah, just that disturbing aura throughout, I mean, it adds to that experience overall. Like, I mean, it affects you personally in many ways, you know? And it, it goes back to that whole thing that you're on the that you're seeing Henry's perspective Jesus yeah <laughs> this movie yeah I mean and, and that's what makes it disturbing it's disturbing on a very human level in many ways as well as a psychological level which is human in its own right Type, tapping into your sanity yeah yeah exactly but not so much in a weird psychedelic altered state kind of way more in like just a dark and dreary nearly Freudian kind of way you know what I mean but there are many different interpretations of this movie, man. But typically, the the main, most accepted theory here is that this is all a meditation on uh, being a parent and uh, raising a family and the anxieties that uh, come across there, you know. And it does kind of fit when you really think about it, you know. Human like, parenthood. <laughs> like especially when you consider the relationship between Mary X and Henry. You know, and what that produces. The, the puppet baby itself, I mean, that's that's every fear that anybody has about uh, having children, like, wrapped up into one gross, fleshy monstrosity. It doesn't even have a body, right? Like, no, there's not even a body. That wrapping around it is just literally holding its uh, entrails together. Everything to Pretty go. much. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like, they, you know, they said that, uh, Mary X said that they didn't even know if it was a baby. Yeah. It's not a baby. It is not a baby at all. Did you catch something on the subway? I don't know. But pretty much every fear that you would have about raising a child is brought up there, you know, like for instance, the child being deformed or like not being acceptable to society, you know, the child being sick, you know, the child maybe holding you back a little bit, yeah. you know, like holding you back in your life and in your own pursuits and everything. Exactly. I mean, that baby really symbolizes just everything wrong that's going on in Henry's life. I mean, he, like I said, he said earlier, he's an albatross around his neck. 
I mean, what, what what's your take on that particular theory, Robert? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> You're not I, much I've of a only, theory person, are you? I've only seen it twice. Like, yeah, but just just initially speaking, just going off what you've seen, what's your best interpretation of that? Does it come close to the whole interpretation about being about parenthood and about family? Yeah, exactly, because yeah, you should see my two brothers. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so you find it a lot more relatable more than anything. I do relate to. I find my I find Henry's being my dad really. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and me having to step up and grow up and take care of my older brother. You know, that was a lot, too. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's a lot to take. Jeez. And, of course, yeah, that goes into the other theory that it's about, that we brought up, that it's about the fear of having, specifically having to raise a child who is not what you would typically call able and healthy. Exactly. You know, like either mentally or physically. It's like, are you going to step up or are you just going to walk away or something? Because, yeah, that, I mean, you, you know, you, you could tell more than anybody that's a hell of a thing to step up to do. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a thing to have to deal with. And Henry does not deal with it well at all. Even, he, he if, it's, up, even if it's not yours, you're going to step up and take care of him anyway? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there are plenty of uh, good, hardworking people who will do that. Mm-hmm. But here, Henry just cracks. You know, he ends up stabbing his child in the lungs with a goddamn the pair scissors, of scissors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's after pretty much literally being mind-raped by the... Uh, by the pencil machine, which, I mean, I, I kind of th- think that that's what that is, kind of, sort of. It's just life literally mind-raping him, kind of. He's able to uh, erase the idea of not yeah. having kids. Yeah, yeah, it's kind, kind of the, basically being able to erase those past uh, transgressions that led to his current circumstances. Yeah. And all of that is in his mind, which makes sense. I mean... Uh, they they pull uh, the eraser heads uh, out of his out of his actual head like he's decapitated for a little bit in his dream state and his uh, head is taken to a pencil uh, factory by a kid and which is by that dude he's all like okay paul okay. <laughs> once again just some <laughs> of the many comedic elements of this movie like david lynch did say that there was comedy to be had in this in this film like definitely Sonny, what do you got there? (laughs) 
But yeah, I mean, I think that that's pretty close to what the the actual pencil factory means. You know, it's just an attempt to kind of erase his past uh, mistakes in many ways. But what do you think of the man in the planet? You think that it's safe to say that that's very much the indicative of the hands of fate, pretty much, that that's what he represents? Or do you think that he represents something more psychological? It's probably, yeah, it's probably in his head the whole time. And, you know, the, what is it, two levers that tell him what to do? It's, it's <laughs> like a series of levers, yeah. I think. Like, it's at least four or five. And remember, near the end, whenever he just uh, killed his baby, like, and everything's kind of freaking out. Like, he doesn't have control of it anymore. Oh, Jesus. You know, like, if you remember, like, he's trying to pull that one lever, and it's just not going. He it's stalled. It. Yeah, he lost it. Then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. there's symbolism there. I mean, that's just that just symbolizes that moment where Henry just crossed the moral event horizon, you know, and where he finally cracked under the pressure. Crazy. Yeah. And, and near the end, you know, the baby kind of... And his death throes becomes this huge, massive head and then eats Henry. I mean, basically, even in the end, the son still ends up completely dominating and consuming the father. And which is another kind of adult fear is, uh, you know, your your child, like, maybe replacing you somewhat, kind of, as as far as your legacy is concerned. Yeah. Like there's there's some there's some people who can't handle their children doing better than they did, you know. That is a, tr- that is a fact. There, yeah. yeah, that is a fact. There are some people that are just like that, you know. I don't think Henry was like that, you know. But it is interesting that you know, may- maybe it's just that that baby became such a huge part of his life that it finally just literally consumed him, you know, and he ended up killing it. Stab it. And, and that that kind of goes into another theory about uh, the movie as a whole, that it's basically Henry's dying dream as he's being electrocuted for killing his baby. You know, that he's basically being executed and this is what he's seeing. And that's why, you know, there's all that electricity that's yeah. definitely kind of a motif throughout the movie. Like in, uh, in the ex's apartment, you know, there's the uh, power surge that happens that burns out that light bulb. You know, there's constantly, like, uh, electronic sa- electrical sounds throughout the movie. It keeps but, going back to the lamp, right? Yeah, yeah it keeps right. on going I back to the lamp that. as well. Yeah. And then near the end, I mean, that's supposedly the moment where he's being electrocuted. You know, that's where everything's freaking out, and, you know, there's just that constant sparking and everything. Too crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, that could be a viable theory, you know. I guess it could be. But the next theory that I've heard is that this is a long take on the regrets of abortion. That, that, that That's kind of yeah. why the baby has a fetus-like quality to it. That basically, that basically that's the situation that's actually happening, that Mary X got an abortion after that uh, dinner at their apartment. And that uh, eventually, you know, this is basically that regret that's kind of manifested itself. Over a, or even over a previous abortion that they may have had, you know, maybe that's what it is. What if they had an abortion and she still had it? <laughs> Jesus Christ! An abortion, but I mean, it was just more of a manifestation of that guilt and that regret, or surrounding the abortion, more or less, which makes it makes it even headier when you really think about it a little bit. I mean, it makes it a little more disturbing, especially when you come to the end, 
with the lady of the radiator like maybe that's more like uh that's supposed to be like a maternal instinct uh, incarnate in some way you know that's a safe spot keeps going back to her yeah basically kind of sort of in a way but then again what the fuck do we know (laughs) what do we know (laughs) what do we know man we don't know nothing but yeah the lady in the radiator as we've stated that's pretty much his dream woman that's uh, who he constantly keeps going back to kind of as uh, for a succor and for a respite from his daily life kind of and, and apparently David Lynch thought up of the lady of the, ra- of the radiator kind of on the fly because he looked at a radiator and he saw the little implement in there that looked like a stage. And he was like, wouldn't that be crazy if we can kind of make it look like there's a stage in there and then go in there and there actually is a stage. So, I mean, he was pretty much inspired on the fly to make that sequence. And that becomes such an important uh, part of the actual narrative of what happens to Henry, you know, that kind of kind of leads to some theories in its own right you know like for instance why does she have those protrusions on her face what happened to her like what what is that supposed to be like david lynch said that she basically had some bad acne or something like the character lady and it pretty much that was the result or something like that grew up around radiation or something something like that but then again i mean that's assuming the lady in the radiator is a real person in any way, which I'm not so sure, to tell the truth. It's a way for him to escape just by going in. Yeah, it's a way for him to escape, and it's a fantasy for him. There you that, go. That, that's his fantasy world. That's what that uh, stage is. That's his fantasy. Like, his fantasy girl is pretty much performing for him. This showgirl, just doing a dance. His showgirl, pretty oh. much, you know. But, I mean, he's he's being the person that he is. He's not looking for this sultry, seductive lady across the hall type. You know, he's looking for somebody a little more virginal and maybe even like unable to actually have children. Like I said, you know, that that's that whole stomping on the, the sperm thing in the jiggers. No children. No children. <laughs> it's like no children, no children whatsoever. Might as well just keep hitting him in the balls. With the <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! I don't know. Maybe maybe the lady in the radiator is a metaphor for uh, uh, contraception itself. What if, what if that's it? Like it's like contraception is my best friend. She keeps stomping on him, like telling him probably not to have kids, right? Yeah, yeah but he already had a kid. And he already like, had yeah, it. He's too, too late. late. <laughs> too late, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what the lady in the radiator is just a fucking condom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. Condoms are my best friend. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, his, his dream world is uh, really interesting to me. I mean, it's part of what keeps me coming back to this film because, I mean, I think that I can kind of find the different interpretations to have like, every, every time. time I see it, yeah. you know. Like I notice something kind of different. I notice a little, little uh, feature in the background or like an extra little bit of sound that I didn't hear before, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, and and that, that makes this a movie that is infinitely rewatchable just for that reason. Even just to go back and kind of look at those different theories, you know, and to just try to figure out what each character is supposed to symbolize and what Henry's interactions with them actually mean. Like, I mean, the neighbor across the hall. The lady with the horse The head. lady. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, be nice, dude. She she was a very lovely woman. Not too bad. She's very lovely, but totally not Henry's type. 
you know, and yes, Henry was not her type either. She eventually just kind of abandoned him. And, and it was because of that fucking baby. Baby ruined it all. Babies are supposed to get your chicks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that that's the uh, not in this case. general perception, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Like, but one of the biggest mysteries of this movie is how that puppet baby was made. Like, like I brought up how it sounds, just how the fuck it was made. David Lynch won't say. I mean, there's a lot that he won't say about this movie. I mean, he does want people to kind of figure it out, but he won't even go into how they did the uh, the special effects for that. There's actual theories behind that as well. Looks like a hand puppet too, because. The desk is on the wall. What if he just went right through the desk? Or yeah, but also, how do you account for the eye movements? Yeah. And also, what about the scene where it, he actually snips it open? It's like, what is all that? Yeah. Time lapse. Or I, have I no mean, idea. there's just so much to that that, I mean, it just boggles the mind. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen any videos on YouTube trying to deconstruct what it is, but... I've heard everything from like a sheep's fetus, like a lamb fetus, to even a cat, like a skinned cat or something like that. Because I mean, remember there is that one dead cat that it's like an ostrich head or something. There was that one dead cat that was supposed to be in the film that was at the beginning of that documentary on the Criterion supplementals, you know. So I mean, he did, and he of course there's the umbilical cords, you know. So there's no telling how the fuck he made this thing. Yeah, we're actually watching the scene now where Henry opens the baby's, I guess it's body, the wrapping around it, and it just opens up and it shows a bunch of nastiness. <laughs> Some very well-made special effects. But, I mean, how the fuck was that made? I mean, Robert, do you have any idea what that I, could be? I have no idea. I mean, I, I think the sheep fetus might be plausible. Like well, it maybe. could all it could all be real. I mean, real dead animal parts. Well, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah. it is. I'm sure it is. Because the probably, umbilical cords are real shit. Yeah, yeah, those were fashioned into little sperm things, which, disturbingly enough, if you look closely at them, like almost kind of looks like the, the the head of the baby, kind of, which raises even more questions. You know, it looks so real. The flesh looks real. <laughs> oh yeah, and of course, all that, uh, all the liquid and nastiness that comes out of the baby. It's like, I mean, that is mystified uh, special effects fans for like the, generations. The way the way it's all wet and everything. Yeah, oh, it's Jesus. it's like constantly fleshy. Like it has, it looks like it has no skin whatsoever. That looks I so mean, real, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And, and David Lynch will not say how it, this was done. I mean, th th it's one of those things that's kind of like the uh, actual meaning of You're So Vain by Carly Simon. She won't say what that's about. It's kind of the same thing here, except a lot more disturbing. What's that, like baby food coming out of them? Or? I think that's like, a looks like oatmeal of some type. I say Quaker Oats or something. Because I remember they had a scene where he was looking in a, a drawer that they didn't make the movie that uh, was like a bunch of peas and uh, some like pudding or something like that. It was made to kind of look. Now, that just looks like cream of wheat there. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much oatmeal, but cream of wheat. Cream of wheat. <laughs> yeah. He just killed his baby right there. But I mean, 
What do you think compelled David Lynch ultimately to write and direct this movie? I mean, we, we heard the story that eventually, essentially he was originally working on a, uh, another movie at first, but then he, uh, that kind of fell through and he was just like, I want to do a razor head. And the AFI was just like, okay, here, here's a grant, make a razor head. Wow. And by God, did he make a razor head? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> But, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the whole theory about whether or not this is a meditation on uh, parenthood and everything. Because by this point, he, he was already married to his first wife, Peggy. Like, they'd been married for a little while. I think they already had a child and everything. That was He was he'd already raised a kid, pretty much. He really? was raising a kid at the time. And about to have another one. So, it kind of makes you wonder, like, if this is how he felt about that. I mean... Parenthood, or as... He's having a child at that moment. It's like, I mean, no wonder he made something like this to cope with it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the goddamn baby literally eats the main character in the end. Yeah. It's like your child will take over you or something. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, David Lynch, he's quite a character, though. I, th- I think uh, David Cronenberg uh, described him as uh, basically a weird space Elvis kind space of. Space Elvis. Yeah, he, yeah, he has he does have that pompadour and he has that kind of 50s aura about him. I mean, that's what he's all about. He's always about putting mid to late 50s and early 60s uh imagery in his movies, like especially Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Yeah, that's all over Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet and shit like that. He's lost it. Oh yeah, he he's just cracked. lost it. He's yep. cracked now. <laughs> yeah, the the planet just ruptured. He's fucked. He is fucked. And so he needs to go and hug the lady in the radiator. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Eraserhead. Quite a movie. Like I've said, I've I've seen it many, many times. I'm probably going to see it many, many times after this. Uh, How about you, Robert? Are you going to watch this movie a bunch more times with me? I will watch it again. Oh, definitely. I mean, this is something that is to be analyzed. It's to be critiqued. I mean, it's to be experienced. I mean, there's just so many words that I could use to describe this film, but I'm just not going to try to fill them into uh, just one sentence and everything. It's just, this movie is everything that you would want from an art house film, like all the way. Like, like, like how, how many type of uh, art house movies have you really watched like this, Robert? Hmm. Can't really say. Really. Can't really. Can't really say. Well, like you haven't even checked. Like if you've seen Kubrick movies, I mean that's kind of art house in many ways. Like Eyes Wide Shut or something like that, or even Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> oh man, that's a great movie. And the sergeant just died too, right? Yeah, yeah that's uh, Arlie Ermey. May he rest in peace. Sixty-nine years old. That was a great yeah. film. That is a great film. That might be season two material. I, I don't know. I, I kind of think we're going to Kubrick. We might have to do Clockwork Orange first. There you go. Yeah. I saw that one too. That was great. Yeah. But, you know, final thoughts on Eraserhead, Robert. What do you, what are your, uh, what do you think? I think I need to show this to my dad. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. He would probably really enjoy it. I'm sure. Oh no, he would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this pretty much describes his uh, situation back in the day. Almost. It's like, <laughs> all right, that's my... I mean, he's well, got a good head of hair, right? Oh, is yeah, that, of course. Is that hair going to recede back with more stress? Like, really? <laughs> yeah, right? 
I'm surprised that uh, I'm surprised that Henry's hair isn't just like falling out or he hasn't pulled it out by the end of the movie. (laughs) But I mean, this film to me, I mean, it pretty much kind of undercuts a lot of the feelings that I have about family that I have about maybe having children, which I don't know if I will maybe or maybe not, you know, but I mean, if it's anything like this, <laughs> I don't know, man. Every day is going to be new. Yeah, Gosh, every God. day will be a new experience. Jesus Christ. It already is a new experience every day, <laughs> especially for us in the grocery business. In the kills. Yeah, but folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. We had a lot of fun talking about this movie. We had a lot of fun watching this movie. I mean, thank you to the American Film Institute for giving the grant to this and the Center for Film Studies. It's like, I mean, we that's a hell of a film. And thank you to David Lynch for making this. For, I mean, I'm actually thanking him for making this because, I mean, this is a movie that has just fascinated me for quite some time now. And hopefully it's a movie that if you have it on Criterion or if you have the old DVD release, watch it, live it, love it. It's definitely inspiring <laughs> definitely yeah definitely if you are a filmmaker it's something that's inspiring like there's all kinds of stuff on the criterion release that all kinds of supplementals that'll just get your creative juices flowing but uh, robert what is your next choice for the podcast like f- first off we're going to do another indie film review that's going to come up first and we're going to be doing uh, the trauma film hectic knife which will be interesting. It looks like a funny little slasher parody, sort of, at least from what I can see from the trailer. Well, it's Troma. I can't wait to see it. Oh, man, yeah, we we do have love for Troma, you know. I mean, it's not like A-plus cinema, but it's Troma cinema. It's independent cinema. Nukem High. (laughs) Return of Nukem High. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But what's what's your next choice for the podcast? It will probably be... Rocky. Rocky. That's right. Sylvester Stallone's, uh, what was it, 1980? It's like 1976, 1976. 1976 film. 77 film. Yeah. Led to a pretty huge franchise. Like how many movies? Like four or five of them, right? There's so many of them, they're still coming on. To oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're making another Creed movie, right? Um, There's talk about Creed Part Two. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. Like, that would be interesting. But yeah, I mean, we're, we only have a few more episodes left. Uh, this is going to be season one of our podcast. And we're going, like, we're probably going to wrap up in August. And uh, we're going to take a month off to do some other things for a little bit. Yes, break time. <laughs> but we will be back in October after that. Like, this isn't our final episode of the season yet. We have, like, maybe another three or four more episodes, plus the indie re- review. But hopefully, like, we, we will we'll have a lot of fun talking about Rocky, and hopefully y'all stick with us through the rest of the season, and we'll stick with us to season two. And we are now over uh, 400 downloads, last I checked. That is great. Can't wait to get to five. Oh, man, I can't wait to get to five. Help, help us get to 500 downloads, 500 downloads, please. Thank you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We are on Stitcher. We are on Podbeam. We are on Google Play, YouTube, Tumblr, WordPress. And look for us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash the C-Cinema Podcast. We need uh, patrons, ladies and gentlemen. We we definitely need patrons. Please don't. We we want to make this the best podcast that we can. 
I mean, we love you guys. We love each and every uh, follower on Twitter and every download that we get. So keep them coming, ladies and gentlemen, and stay tuned. There's way more to come. So for Collateral Cinema, I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. Collateral Cinema out. Bye, everybody. Laters. Collateral Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by their respective creators. Please don't sue us. We're poor.